Father, we commit this time to you. Lord, we know in our world today, there's a challenge in the understanding of the word. And so, Lord, we do not take this lightly. We count it a privilege to be able to declare your word, that we are able to speak it and to proclaim it. But we pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, guide us, teach us, so that what is declared will bring honor to you and will be a blessing to everyone who is here and everyone who is listening. So I commit everything to you, Lord. Lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as a teacher or a preacher, there are some messages and some teachings that are harder to teach. I want to confess that this is one of them. Not that the others have been easy. I mean, if you talk about the Sermon on the Mount, this is not an easy message, the Sermon on the Mount, in its entirety. And we've been going through Mount Makarios. We've looked at the first and the second beatitude. Not easy. But tonight, I tell you, I struggle as I went through the um, preparation. I look at this one word of meekness or being meek because that's what we will explore this evening. Blessed are the meek. And I had to evaluate even my own life, my own behavior, the things I thought I understood. And perhaps that is why I have entitled the message as such, Me? Meek? I mean, you've got to be kidding, right? <laughs> I mean, do you have that same struggle? Me? Meek? And depending on how you want to take it, it can be disbelief. It can be despair. You can read it as shock, surprise. You can even read it as rebellion. But when I mention the word meek, blessed are the meek, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, what kind of images will fill your mind? When this one word is mentioned, is it a positive or a negative impression that you get? How do we understand this third beatitude in light of a dog-eat-dog world? This is the kind of world we live in, right? You have to survive. And if you don't stand your ground, you might be bullied. Someone might take you for a ride. They will chew you up. And so what would you do if you want to have it all? How would you behave? I mean, after all, no one owes you a living. Isn't it true you have to go out there and, and take it yourself? That's what we have been raised up to believe. And perhaps we might have understood it or experienced some of these experiences negatively and that only helps to strengthen our resolve that nope, 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 <laughs> meek is not going to be my vocabulary. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And yet you can't get this image out, right? The moment you say, wait, hang on, there might be a wolf just lurking somewhere behind. If I'm as meek as a lamb, Someone's going to get at me. So from early childhood, we've been trained to compete, to fight, to stand out, to get attention, to be noticed. And it doesn't help with this Darwinian thought, you know. The survival of the, not the meekest, huh? the fittest. The survival of the fittest. How do you preach on something like that? It's tough. It's really very, very difficult. Even as Christians, we struggle with this. 
But let's do due diligence. Let's go into that word study. This one word called meek. The English word meek is often mistaken for a word that rhymes. Weak. Doesn't help, right? I mean, why must meek rhyme with weak? Mention meek and everyone thinks weak. Not only that, if you are not cool enough, right? Meek can also rhyme with geek. <laughs> and geek is really developed or you know, sort of morphed from this one word called freak. So how do you like it? Meek at the moment rhymes with weak, geek, freak. Not a good way to start a beatitude. Isn't it wonderful that they wrote it in Greek? So they didn't have to worry about all these rhymes. Well, in Greek, it's actually that one word called prowls. And one word called meek does not really define that one word prowls adequately. And so there are other words that are associated, related words. So meek can also mean gentle. It can also mean humble. And of course, it can mean lowly. These three words go with the word meek. So meek is not weak. If you look at these three words of being gentle and humble and lowly, it does not mean weak. In fact, meek, if you want to define it more accurately, really it's a condition of the heart and of the mind that demonstrates gentleness and that in itself is a strength of character. Someone who possesses that trait is considered not weak, strong. Someone who's gentle, humble, and able to move, you know, even with a lowly understanding, to be meek, as it were, that's strength. So far in the Beatitudes, we have noticed also that when Jesus declares that and is recorded in the New Testament, it is never a new concept. Do you remember that? It's always rooted in the Old Testament. It's not something new that suddenly he proclaims. So Jesus was being very consistent when he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the closest, closest reference we can find, you find it in Psalm 37. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So let's unpack this a little bit. Let's look at this one verse in its entirety, in its context. We can't read the entire Psalm 37, but I'm going to read for you from verse 3 to verse 11. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourselves also in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. 
But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. You notice in this little short passage that I've picked out for you, it is mentioned twice that a certain group of people will inherit the earth. In verse 9 we read, Those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Paralleled with verse 11, But the meek shall inherit the earth. Now that's not the only two. There's one more in verse 34, and you can go read that by yourself. But I want you to see the context. What is the context that these verses are written in? Did you know there's a lot of things about the wicked and the evil people prospering? That's the whole thing about Psalm 37. It's like, don't worry about these guys. The context is, times are not necessarily appearing very fair. Right? These so-called bad people, the wicked people, these are the ones who do not deserve anything. They seem to be getting all the good stuff. It's not fair. There's another psalm that's like that. You see in Psalm 77, right? The psalmist says, I, I look at them, I almost stumble. Cannot take it, man. I mean, every day I, I pray, I do Bible study, I go to church, I come to Kingdom 101. I'm not as rich as them. I don't have as much as them. Something is not right. That's the context. But you note the response from the psalmist. Trust in the Lord. Look, you want to understand who is the one who is meek? What characterizes one who is meek? Trust in the Lord. Feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Don't kanchyok. No. Do not fret. Cease from anger. The psalmist gives you a description of what it means, you know, for someone to be waiting upon the Lord and for someone who is considered meek. And so the message to those who are meek, what is the key thing that we notice down here? You notice the focus is on God. So this first lesson that we have to learn is, if you want to understand meekness, start with the right focus. You have to start with God and you have to end with God. If you remove God from the equation at any time, you will struggle with meekness. Every time you struggle with this understanding of what meekness is, gentleness, humility, and even desiring and being willing to walk in a lowly fashion, You've got to start with God first. Your trust has to be in the Lord. Your delight must be in the Lord. You are feeding on His faithfulness. You are resting upon Him. You are waiting on Him. Another way to translate wait is that you are hoping in Him. You see, once your eyes are fixed on God, only then can you say, do not fret. Don't get angry. But if your eyes are fixed on the way the world is moving and the wicked and seeing how they are prospering, I tell you, blood boil. Right? You feel not fair. Why like that? Not very meek, huh? Don't feel meek at all. Nonsense. Can't be for me. You see the problem? 
start with God. And you have to end also with God. See, when God is in the picture, and if you are feeding on everything that He is and whoever He is, then there will be a sense that you have developed within yourself a quiet confidence and a quiet security, even in the face of injustice and oppression. Now, it's very easy to say, eh? but when we go through it, that's when the real test comes. But when it hits you, and it will in varying degrees, remember this, start with God. You see, you've got to check alignment. This is using our language in our Keeper's Awakening. Check alignment. Whenever things come against you to, to knock you off track, the first thing you do is not to react. Your first thing you do is to check alignment. Go back to God. You've got to start with God. So we look at all these and it says, oh, those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. The, the meek shall inherit the earth. So, okay, I mean, can I have my inheritance now? Can I have my inheritance now? I mean, I'm meek. Why? So there's a promise, right? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen. Now, 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 the understanding starts with God and it ends with God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So if you want to have a right perspective, don't you think that's a good place to go to? So when does it end? How does it end? See, the prophets always declared, you will read this, this one phrase, the great day of the Lord. There's a great day of the Lord that's coming. And they're looking for this day. And to the people of Israel, they're waiting for this day because that's when, let me paraphrase, huh, God's going to whack the enemies. And everything is going to be cool. And all justice will be restored. And the kingdom will be full. You see that? Right? So they're looking for the great day of the Lord. So if you look at this prophetic book called Zephaniah, we don't read that too often, not that popular. He talks about the great day of the Lord. It's going to be a scary day. It's a fiery day. You better be careful. And in Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together. O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. You see, so when the day of the Lord comes, judgment is going to be so intense. Now, we haven't come to that yet. Huh? Not yet. Has not happened yet. Then in verse 3, Seek the Lord, all you, what's that word? Meek of the earth. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld His justice. These are the guys who have trusted in Him, who will walk righteously. Although they are knocked about here and there and treated wrongly and unjustly, they uphold His justice. They seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 12. Again, talking about when that day comes. The remnant, I will leave in your midst. What kind of a people? A meek and a humble people. And they shall trust in the name of the Lord. Now, this is definition that I will go by. 
this is timing that will hold on to. Because this is of the Lord. You start with God and you end with God. You don't get to determine when you receive that inheritance. Amen? So for the people of Israel, they're crying out because, Lord, you're promising. I hope in you. Lord, it, it doesn't look like it, you know, at all. I don't see anything. But I hope in you. I'm waiting for you. And, you know, I will still stand upon your word. I will still trust in you. In the meantime, get whacked like crazy. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Amen? Now, it's up to you whether you want to trust it or not. You see, if you stand on your own understanding... You will give up on this immediately, man. So this is nonsense. The meek will not inherit anything, much less the earth. So that's the first point I want to share with you. But let's go quickly into some biblical examples of meekness. We see these men, I'm going to show you how meekness is displayed or demonstrated through them. The first story we know is about Abram and Lot. That together, they came out from a far country, you know, into, into the land. And they were growing already, and too many things, too many people. And their sheep or their shepherds were fighting with one another. And so Abram tells Lord, let's not fight, like, we're family. I tell you what, you look, which part of the land you want, you choose, you take. I give you first choice. Now this is uncle. Uh, uncle can just say, excuse me, huh? God said he promised me land, no. So I choose first. I get choice land. No. He said, no, you choose first. So Lord chooses and he gets into a place that looks really nice. And Abraham was meek, you understand? He was gentle, he was humble enough, lowly enough to take a position and say, I defer to you, you choose first. Here comes the craziest thing. After Lord chooses seemingly the better piece of land, God declares in verse 17 of chapter 13, Genesis. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. The meek shall inherit the land. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you read, it's like, man, how did Lot choose something that God would give the other one and that would be the promised land? Boggles you, right? God is God. The second example we see in Moses, and this is already, they've crossed out of Egypt into the wilderness, not into the land yet. And they have a little argument, right? Miriam and Aaron got a little bit upset, right? Why must it be Moses? Why he more spiritual, is it? Huh? It's always God and Moses, Moses and God. What about us? So why does he get special favor? And then immediately after recording that in verse 1 and 2, Numbers 12, verse 3 reads, in bracket, maybe whispering, now the man Moses was very humble. Bracket meek. More than all men who were on the face of the earth. Now how do we see that meekness displayed? Miriam and Aaron were having a go at him. And that verse was inserted. And the next verse, God steps in. Moses didn't retaliate. He didn't say anything about himself. He didn't defend himself at all. He didn't even have to justify anything. God steps in, vindicates Moses. Miriam gets struck with leprosy. In fact, Moses after that didn't look at Miriam and say, <laughs> you deserve it. Told you to keep your mouth shut. Don't talk so much. No, Moses interceded and prayed for Miriam. You know what's the next chapter? 
God tells Moses, it's time to enter the land. Send the 12 spies in. Isn't that awesome? A picture of meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. The third example is about David and Shimei. And you find this in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 to 14. Now David had already become king, and he is probably advanced in his years because his son Absalom rebelled against him. And so he's walking through this place, and Shimei encounters him and starts to curse David. To say, look at you. You deserve it. You deserve everything that you've got. You see, your son, even your son turns his back on you. And his aide, Abishai, gets upset on his behalf. He's like, come on, just give the order. Give the order now. I will lob off his head for you, O king. And David did not do anything, you know. He actually says in verse 11, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more may this Benjamite? Let him alone. Let him curse. For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. I mean, he was king, right? He could come against anyone who spoke ill of him. But he was meek enough, gentle enough, humble enough to accept and acknowledge that true, his son has come against him and he took his place. See, these are just three examples. And pause for a moment. I want you to look at these three guys. Abraham, Moses, David. Were they weak? Are these weak men? Not at all. Do you know Abraham, after parting ways with Lot, Lot gets captured and Abraham brings 318 trained servants and went to rescue Lot. Now tell me, is that a weak man? No. Moses, as we know, stood up to Pharaoh. Let my people go, says the Lord. Man, perform miracles in front of this guy. You call it a weak guy? No. You see, meek is not weak. David fought lions and bears, defeated Goliath, lifted up as a mighty warrior in all of Israel. You call it a weak man? No. But they were meek men. You see the difference? And what's the common denominator of all these three? They started with God and they walked with God. It's always a relationship with God. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. And from that point on, he held on. Even he wavered at certain points. He kept believing that God will give him that promise. And in that relationship, he will keep trusting God. Whatever happens to him, whichever land anyone we have chosen, he believed God is going to make his name great and God's going to give him a land. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain of God. Not once, not twice, maybe three or four times. I don't know. When was the last time we spent 40 days without food and drink? He comes down with the glory of God upon his face. And the meekness and the humility that can come only out of a relationship with God. David, of course, was described as a man after God's own heart. Need I say more? You want biblical examples? Let's look at our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah records in 53 verse 7, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. 
It's like the true example, the, the best example of meekness, gentleness, humility, lowliness. Was Jesus weak? Sometimes, you know, we always joke about this, right? The Hollywood version of Jesus looks really meek, right? Nice, blonde, flowing hair, blue eyes, and things like that. But do you think Jesus really looked like that? We, we have no record. But was Jesus weak? He was a no-nonsense guy, you know. When the right time came, he overturned tables. He chased out the money lenders and the, ex- and the, the changers, this, these guys who were having business in the temple court, yeah. He made a cord of whip. He didn't just say, shoo, shoo. He whipped them out. I mean, you call that weak? Cannot be, right? When he was with his disciples, he rebuked them. Gently, I suppose. But firmly. He had no problems calling out the hypocrisy of leaders. Hypocrites. You whitewashed tombs. Outside, look very good. Inside, full of bones, dead. A weak guy will never do that. When it came to the things of God, he was bold. He was zealous. But he was always meek. He was always mild. And he was always gentle. How do you hold these things in our heart, you know, intention to understand this? And that's why Jesus tells the disciples and tells everyone, learn from me. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we stop there. Yeah? Usually we'll say, oh, that's very good for a silent retreat. Lah. That verse, let's take it. Lah. Because we all need rest. I don't think Jesus was necessarily referring to that. 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why should I learn from you, Jesus? He explains, learn from me because I am meek and I am lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, when I looked at this one word again, for I am gentle, for I am meek, suddenly the interpretation of this verse gave me new light. Do you know why we need rest? Because we are not meek. Why do we need rest? Because we are not meek. Because we're not trusting in the Lord. We're not waiting for Him. We're fretting here. We're fretting there. We're getting upset. We get, oh, heart, oh, oh, my heart, oh, my heart, oh. So Jesus says, yo, chill. It's okay, bro. I've got it all under control. Trust me. Be gentle. Be humble. You may not win everything, but it's going to be okay. Rest. Different picture, right? Learn from me. He trusted the Father all the way to the cross. Up on the cross, people say, loose already. And up there he can say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That's how cool he was, how gentle, how meek. Father, forgive them. He wasn't fretting up there. Oh no, help, help. Father, forgive them. There's one character that learned from Jesus that closely. And the character is Stephen. Stephen's one character in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where he stood up and he delivered a powerful sermon, entire chapter. You should read that. 
full of steel, full of backbone, called out the religious leaders and point blank indicted them. Of course, they got upset with him. They gnashed their teeth at him, dragged him out and stoned him. But as they were doing that, in verse 60 of chapter 7 of Acts, he knelt down, cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Just like Jesus. Father, forgive them. Don't, don't hold this against them. I mean, that's how meek he was, how gentle he was. And here we see the second key. Do we try to be meek? Have you tried? Who failed? I've tried, failed many times. We don't try to be meek. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? See, Jesus was one fully anointed with the Holy Spirit. We are told that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. That is what makes the difference. It is an anointing of the Holy Spirit. It is a result of one who is led by, filled by the Spirit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. There was a Pharisee who stood by approving of Stephen's murder. What was his name? Saul. So Saul was consenting to his death, and there he was. Do you know that later on Saul, after he was converted to become Paul, he would write to the church in Galatia, chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, here comes the word, gentleness. Self-control against such, there is no law. Paul must have remembered the picture of Stephen. And there he was, righteous as he could be as a Pharisee. He's like, oh, give it to him, man. You know, I'm doing this for the sake of God and His kingdom. You've got to be strong, you know, you've got to come against these types, Persecutes the Christians, chase after them, arrests them, throws them to jail, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, impacted later on, filled by the Holy Spirit, and then writes this. You want meekness? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. And later on in one of his letters to the church in Corinth, now he says, as Jesus said, learn from me. Now he says, imitate me. Learn from me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, therefore I urge you, imitate me. 11 verse 1, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Now let's just digress a little bit. Let's look at this one word called imitate. It comes from two words, which means to copy, to imitate, to mimic, and the second word is to come into existence, to become. In other words, you mimic until you become. Some of us might be familiar with this, that if there is a, a pop idol that we you know, worship and, or we look up to a person that we read, we, we want to copy this person until we become like this person. That's what it means. So Paul is saying, imitate me. But don't just imitate me for who I am. Imitate me as I also mimic the Christ. So essentially, this is one phrase specific to our teaching. What he's saying is this. Mimic my meekness as I mimic the meekness of Messiah. That's what Paul was saying. 
imitate me, copy me until you become, not like me, but please become like me if I have become like Christ. Of course, it refers to everything about Jesus Christ. It's not just about meekness. A disciple who follows the master will want to be like the master. A student, when he's fully trained, will become like the teacher. That's the goal of every master with his disciple. But don't get the wrong nuance. Mimicking, copying is not just play acting. In other words, you know, in local terms, we call it wayang. It's not play acting. There's another word called for play acting where the Greek word for the word actor is actually hypocrites. And it's called hypocrisy. Right? But Paul is saying, mimic me, copy me so closely until inwardly you are changed. And meekness is formed. Walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that will change you, that will transform you unto the likeness of Christ. How many of you would like to have that? That's what it is. We mimic the Christ. And we want to mimic His meekness. But let me give you a caution. I want to say to you that meekness is formed from the inside out. But meekness is tested from the outside in. As with many things that we go through. Meekness must be formed from the inside out. Otherwise, there's no lasting impact. But as you are being formed, your meekness or the lack of is tested from the outside in. You don't believe me? Let me give you some examples. You know, by myself, I can say to you, everyone, openly, I declare, I fail, I sin, I, I trip every now and then. And you will say, wow, so good. You know, he's so open, he's so honest. But when I walk out of here and you come and tell me, you know, you were wrong, you know, you sin, you know, this is not right. Oh, I get really upset with you, you know. I can tell myself, but don't you dare tell me. You see the problem here? So meekness, I can appear meek before you, but when you throw something at me, that meekness is tested from the outside in. I can be as humble as I can until you tell me I'm humble. And that's where the whole problem starts. Because the moment you push up my humility, my pride takes over. I can be very gentle until you throw a stone at me. I thought I was very patient, and then I had seven children. Can you understand what I'm sharing with you? You see, meekness is formed from the inside out, but it's tested from the outside in. Now let's move quickly because I want to give you seven very practical applications or examples. You know, when we look at Paul, he says, okay, imitate me, follow me. And there are some statements from Paul where he uses the same uh, word of meekness and some other statements in the other New Testament. But when I studied this, these seven things would help us relate to one another and walk in our lives. The first one is about our identity. If you look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, do you know in verse 12, Paul says, therefore, now therefore is a conclusion, right? So before that, he's already talking about something in, in the book of Colossians about us being the new man. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. That's our identity, friends. We are the elect of God. We are holy. We are beloved. Praise the Lord. Now, how then should we act? Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, 
meekness. If you are who you are, put on meekness. We have got a strong identity in Christ. It gives us great confidence, great power, great authority. But we minister that in meekness. That's what he's saying. And in all your relationships, bear with one another. Forgive one another. Anyone has a complaint against another, forgive as Christ forgave you. Do you think if the church memorized this verse and studied it and allowed the Spirit to, to really work in us, we'll have less problems? But today is no, I'm child of God. I'm overcomer. So you don't come against me. I overcome you. <laughs> Am I correct? You step me, I step you, right? Because I got all things under my feet. So we, we have this kind of a power theology, but without an understanding of meekness in our hearts, and we fail. We fight with one another. So we think, well, we've got great promises in Christ, and we do, but we don't know how to relate with each other. We don't want to forgive one another. Do you realize that if you are humble and meek, forgiveness really is not that difficult. But it's because we are proud. That's why forgiveness is tough. I have here a little note that says, a side note to wives, dealing with husbands who appear not as spiritual as you. 1 Peter 3 verse 1 to 4 actually addresses that. It says, even if your husband does not obey the word, you are still supposed to win them over without a word. How? Because God is looking for a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Why is it a side note to ladies? Don't be offended. Because today I hear women calling fire and brimstone on their husbands. You know what I mean? They mean well. You know, oh, Lord, fire him up, fire him up. You know, Wake him up. Like, Come on, he's asleep. He's slumbering. Like, that's not a quiet and a gentle spirit. You put down a man more than anything. And we wonder why prayers are not answered. I better move on. <laughs> so you understand this point about identity? Don't use your identity to judge and condemn one another. Look, we are all saved by grace. No one is above the other, right? There are no more distinctions about who's better or you know, who comes from a better stock. No, it's Christ in all. That's what it means. We are all our keepers, it's almost anonymous, but each known by name, saved by faith through His grace, redeemed by His precious blood. Who can boast? So let's understand meekness, you see. The second point is about our call, or can I use this word, our assignment. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 onwards. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Let me digress a little bit here. I cannot, I cannot miss this opportunity. With the calling with which you were called. Is that past tense? So you have been called. Everyone say amen. So don't tell me you have not been called. Don't tell me that you have not heard the call. Because the Bible says you have been called. Now, what worthy of that call? And in verse 2, it's immediately the words come, with all lowliness and gentleness. I am so privileged and so honored that I'm called of the Lord, that I have an assignment, that He counts me worthy to participate in the work of the kingdom. 
Full stop. Now get off that high horse. Amen? I received it not because I'm great, not because of the talents I have. I received that assignment and that call by His grace. Ephesians chapter 4 onwards then goes on to talk about the body of Jesus Christ. They're the five-fold ministry, however you want to understand that. His point is, you've all been gifted by grace. We can't boast at all. So now, when you're out on your assignment, minister with meekness. Be gentle with everybody. Serve everyone. You know, I really struggled coming to preach this message. I told myself, maybe I should write on top of my notes, speak meekly. Speak meekly. Otherwise, they might misunderstand that, you know, in me trying to make a point, I'm no longer gentle with you. Because I'm passionate about moving on God's assignment. Amen? So let me be gentle to remind you. Will you be passionate too? (laughs) That we have assignments by His grace. And we gentle with one another. And after that, we provoke each other, okay? Point number three, it's about correction. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Plenty of that these days. Knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. My dear friends, being meek does not mean we are wishy-washy or we run away from challenges. That is a wrong understanding of being meek. There will be disagreements. You can guarantee that. It will come. If you are on an assignment for the Lord, get ready for disagreements because the enemy is not going to take it sitting down. And many of these disagreements, sadly, will come from within, in the Christian community. Meekness is what enables us to pick the right fight. Meekness gives you a right perspective to know how to approach that. See, I've discovered that many people don't really understand their Christian faith, but they are very ready to argue about it. And in the same chapter or this same book, a few verses ahead, Paul tells Timothy, Dear brother, make sure you divide the word correctly, the word of truth rightly. And today we're facing in particular this problem where Christians do not know the word, but they sure know how to argue. They'll take a few things, they'll turn it upside down, they'll throw it at you. Now, if you don't understand meekness, man, you'll be drawn into a crazy fight. You'll call each other names and after a while you have to repent for being silly. Meekness will ensure we don't correct one another from a posture of pride or know-it-all, but with a heart of bringing truth and setting another person free. You know, I recently encountered that through the post of, um, of a megachurch pastor, Joel Austin, um, writing a certain statement, analyzing it only halfway. And that, it riled me because a, a sister that was 
close to my heart, she posted that. She shared it. She was very encouraged by that. And so my first response was to write to her to say, I wish he would have preached from the entire verse and not half a verse. That's all I said. I didn't even write the article yet. But truly, preached from the entire verse in its context. Then she wrote back to me. She said, Why, what's wrong with it? Can you explain to me? The door is open. Then I explained to her and I said, Sister, please don't be offended. I've written a, an article. I want you to read it. I'm not labeling you as one of these. But if you need to grow in this area, would you please do? Then later on, she rolled back and she said, thank you for pointing this out. They didn't see it. See, meekness helps you to posture correctly to correct. You've heard this said many times, right? No point winning an argument, but you lose that person. And there's no other opportunity for you to, to walk with this person. Because God is the one who grants repentance. God will shine a light into the heart of this person if that person is open enough and, and teachable to receive that. I'm learning from that one post. I've had comments which have been unkind. And I tell you, my natural reaction when I read those comments is like, hmm. it's like, what nonsense is this? You know, you just made the point even clearer that you are not interpreting correctly, you know. But there's no point telling someone like this because they refuse to hear. I have to learn how to just put it one side first and go sleep on it literally. And then respond later so that in Proverbs says, don't correct a fool because in doing so, you become a fool. I'm learning from Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown. I'm learning from Bill Mullenberg. Because I've had the opportunity and the experience of hearing them share. And I tell you, their articles and their position, strong. They stand. They will fight for, for that battle. They will stand their ground. But when they're in the pulpit and when they share, there's a gentleness in them. It's amazing. And I said, Lord, I want to be like that. I want to learn how to be like that. They know how to fight well. Let's go on to point number four called restoration. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, any wrong, any sin, okay, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, meekness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. I want you to note that this one verse comes immediately after Paul's discourse about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. That's the first thing you have to note. So you cannot just take this one verse out and say, okay, I, I will try to restore with meekness. You can't. You've got to understand it is a fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Out of that, then you say, okay, now, how do I restore this one in a spirit of gentleness? The next thing you want to notice in this one verse, it says, you who are spiritual. What does that mean? Today it means different things to different people. To the charismatics and the Pentecostal and the, and the people who walk into the room where their feet don't touch the ground. It just means that they can see things, you know, and they, they can, they can uh, uh, declare prophetic things over you. They speak in tongues longer than you or louder. That does not mean that they are spiritual. So if you understand the context, you who are spiritual would really mean you who are led by the Spirit. You who have been influenced and changed by the Spirit. With that, you have meekness within you, self-control within you. Now go restore this brother. 
See how different that perspective is when, when, you, when you see it clearly. You who are spiritual. Not that you know more Bible. Not that you can quote more things. Not that you attend more meetings. You who have been changed by the Holy Spirit. Go restore. It's one thing to correct someone. That's only one point. It's another to restore. Because restoration takes time. You have to walk with this one person. I tell you, it requires a different level of meekness and gentleness. Not to mention long-suffering. The fifth point is about trials. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James, in this first chapter, his focus is all about trials and tribulations. Today, we have dissected it so much that we have made it mean something else. And the normal response in a difficult situation or when we are opposed is to answer back, is to defend, is to get angry, is to get upset, is to fight. Natural. That's what we all do. But that's the natural man. That's the old man. But if we know the desired effects of God to train righteousness, to train patience, to prove faith, then our response will be very different. And trials have a way of breaking us, but if we respond correctly, meekness is produced. You realize something? When we get older, we say we mellow. You know why we mellow? No more strength to fight. Yeah? Give up already. Because we realize from young, we fight until cannot win still. And if after we win, also you don't really win. It breaks you. And then we tell the younger people, let it go. It's not worth it. That's trials. Meekness is produced in that. And it requires meekness for us, gentleness, a humility to allow the Word of God to have its impact on us. That's why it says there, don't talk so fast. Listen first. Don't be so angry so quickly. Put aside all these things. Receive with humility, with gentleness, the implanted Word. You know the Word already. Why fight against it? It's been implanted in you. But you have to receive it with humility and meekness and gentleness. You know why so many Christians can't get over this? Because they may know the Word, but when a time comes, they are not humble enough or gentle enough to let that Word have its effect upon them. I don't care how many Bible studies you have gone for. And then that verse comes in. Don't be hearers of the word only, deceiving yourselves, but be doers of the word. It's talking about trials. It's talking about meekness being produced. Today we have made it mean something else. Does it mean you can never be angry? No. The Bible says be angry, but don't sin. There's a place for anger. Point number six, wisdom. James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. There is meekness in wisdom. You think you know a lot? Then express that wisdom through meekness. Many people who think they know a lot and have a lot of experience, they come across as proud. They're selfish. 
attention-seeking. And James says, look, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. But where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and everything are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, that word again, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. It's real. That's real wisdom. And I've again been blessed in that I've experienced and encountered men of God who have shared from their hearts and from their experience, and they've got a wealth of wisdom and experience down there. And yet, they are willing, when I ask a question, they are willing even just to look at me and say, I don't know. I'm still trying to get my mind around that one. And they are so gentle in their words, in their position, in their persuasion. And I come away from that meeting feeling the full impact of their wisdom and I'm so edified. Have you been around people like that? It's amazing, you know. They don't have to push their point across. I mean, if they know they're wise, if they know enough, they know enough. That's it. There's nothing to prove. They just give it to you, and whether or not you receive it is entirely up to you. You can disagree. And I'll mention some names, you know, to their credit. One of my lecturers, Dr. Paul Hawks, I mean, it's a, an elderly gentleman, but he speaks passionately and yet ever so gentle. And when he teaches, full of wisdom. Dr. Ed Poson, some of you know him. Very quiet guy. And yet when he shares just a wealth of information that's down there, and when he gives advice, he says, what do you think about this? It makes a lot of sense. Dr. Neil Patterson is another good Bible teacher. And all these are great, you know. But sadly, I've also encountered others in their, in their bid to display how much they know and how confident, how faithful they are. They do come across proud and showy. I said, Lord, you help me because I may not be aware of that myself. I don't want to be like that. It's the fastest way to turn anyone away. And finally, point number seven, defense. Does it mean that you never have to defend? You never have to put up any case? No. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. That's the word apologia, where we get the word apologetics. To everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that is in you. How do you do it? With meekness and with fear. Gently and with fear. And here Peter was really talking about unjust suffering. That means when people hurl things against you, treat you wrongly, say bad things about you, and comes against you, you are blessed. Praise the Lord. We went through that last week. You are blessed because you, you, you know where you stand. But now, sanctify the Lord as Christ. Put Him first. Put Him first. Start with Him. Now, give a defense. Explain if you are given an opportunity. But put God there first. You see, if you take God away, then you're putting your, your reputation up front first. You're going to fail. If you defend yourself and your own name, it's going to fall. But if you know it's the name of the Lord and you may be passionate about it, but at the end, His name will stand, you will be meek. So give that defense with meekness. And it says, with fear. A few verses before that, it says, do not fear their threats. And now it says, with fear. So fear what? I believe it's the fear of the Lord. 
Because Jesus actually says, do not fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, you start with God, you continue with God, and you end with God. And your confidence is in Him. And that's how meekness comes through. You're not fighting for yourself. And you know you have an advocate, He's called the Holy Spirit. Amen? Who will walk with you. So these seven points are important, don't you think? And we encounter this day in, day out with our own families, with our own uh, church congregations, with one another even. And, and we, we struggle. Why? Because maybe we have not come to a, a proper understanding of what meekness really is. So let's bring it to a close. I've taken a bit more of your time this evening. Let's bring it to a close. So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we, like the psalmist, people in the Old Testament, can we say, look, Lord, if I go through this heaven, can I have my inheritance now? In every generation, I think we're asking, Lord, can it be now? Let me just address three quick points and we will close. The first is about a kingdom now theology. Another phrase is called Christian dominionism. That means we believe in the dominion of the kingdom because in Genesis, right, it's declared God says to Adam, have dominion. So we take that one verse and we want to have dominion in every area, and we say that if we Christians live correctly, we will have dominion, we can have our inheritance now. Now, that's a little bit faulty, can I tell you? Okay, it's a little bit faulty. I believe, make a difference wherever God places us. Do the best you can ever be. Move from assembly area to area of operation. Do your assignment. But it doesn't mean that all of us who are going to be on assignment, if we are there really, Everything is going to be cool. No. That's a wrong picture. Because the Bible tells us there will be opposition. There will still be opposition. We do what we can by the power and the grace of God. But be prepared for retaliation, for opposition, for injustice that will come at us. And at those points in time, you are going to need meekness. Okay? Please don't buy into this kingdom now theology to an extreme. It's going to be dangerous. Because there are passages in the Bible where God reminds us or Paul reminds the, the people, leave room for God. Don't take things in your own hands. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. In other words, it's not going to be a utopic situation in the world. It's not going to happen. There will be opposition. You better understand that. Otherwise, you're buying into a lie. It sounds good, but it's not entirely biblical. Amen? Okay? The second question we ask then, so do I get to possess my possessions now? We love that, right? I mean, that's a real nice encounter weekend theme, you know. If I tell you you can possess your possessions now, you'll be so happy. Immediately, I'll pass the offering back around. I'd rather we ask it another way. Are you prepared to lose your possessions? Now, I'm, I'm not wallowing in weakness, huh? I'm telling you. I assure you. Are you prepared to lose your possessions. If it's true that we can possess our possessions now, here and now, then the early church got it wrong because they lost their possessions. They never got it back. But today we are spewing a kind of what we call, C.S. Lewis calls it, chronological snobbery. That we have revelation today that they didn't have then and that's why they didn't live in that power. 
then why look to be the early church in Acts? They lost everything. They lost everything. How do you explain that? But today, in a materialistic society, having our possessions now is a good news, right? I challenge this. I'm not saying God doesn't want to give things to us, but I'm asking you, tell me, which one do you need more meekness? Having your possessions or losing it? I leave you to answer that yourself. Finally, start and end with God. Your eschatology matters. God has the final say. You've got to understand what's going to happen right at the end. It's not just I die, go to heaven. That's very basic eschatology and it's not even robust. What's going to happen in the last days, in the end times? You have to study it. And then what's your trust in? Who is your trust in? What are you hoping for? Because right at the end, I know one thing is for sure. Jesus is promised the nations as His inheritance. Amen? And we who are in Christ will stand as co-heirs with Him to inherit all that He has. That's the promise. I know that. But it also warns us that if we suffer with Him, we will be glorified with Him. That is part of the deal. Ruling and reigning, however much you want to have it right now, is a future event. It hasn't happened yet. Don't believe me? Read the Bible, check it out, and then we can have coffee. But you buy. <laughs> it's a future event. You see, we like this verse that says, oh, you know, we're coerced with Jesus Christ, amen? Oh, we have the spirit of adoption, amen? Now, please uh, remember this. I hope this will help you. Romans chapter 8, for the most part, is written in the context of suffering. Always about suffering. In our weakness, the Spirit makes inter intercession. When is the weakness? Not when you're sick. It's in that suffering of loss. All things work together for the good of those who love Him and are called to His purpose. Suffering. If God is for us, who can be against us? In the context of suffering, that means a lot. It's not for you to possess your possessions. Oh, we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We need to hear that when we are going through a trial. Not to sayang ourselves in times of good. We have become soft. Eschatology matters, friends. We have twisted this because we are in an affluent nation. But let me give you the promises contained in there. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's the inheritance, amen? And it's a future event. You want to have all things? It's going to come. It may not be now yet. Nobody dares to say amen, right? Your eschatology matters, you see. You want all things now? Yeah, in English we say, you hope. La. It's true, right? because God also say, you hope. But His hope doesn't disappoint. Our hope to have all things now cannot. It will definitely disappoint us. New Testament hope is always eschatological hope. Always. That's what kept them going. And so, let's close. Me, Meek, I told you it was a difficult message to preach. And there's just so much in there. Because if I just come and tell you a little bit about that, I think we don't get the full impact of what meekness is all about. But it was 
really tough for me because through the entire process, I was evaluating myself and there are so many areas that I have not displayed this trait. In my relationships, in the ministry, and I blame it on my previous career as an advertising man. I'm always all for publicity, but I'm always pushing myself up there. I need to promote this, I need to promote that, you know. And so there's always this tendency because if you don't shout loud enough, no one hears you. There's too much clutter. And here's this message of meekness to say, get over it. I said, God, come on, this is, this is tough. It's easier to pattern after the world than to imitate my master. And if you have been like me, and if you are like me, you struggle too. I tell you what doesn't help, okay? The dominion theology that we have today makes it worse. I'm not saying don't be confident in who you are in Christ. If you need that understanding, please get it. You've been set free. Your love, it's by grace. We have abundance. Amen? But you tip that scale, you are in dangerous ground. And you're going to bring others down with you. And so, my friends, let me pronounce this upon you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It starts with God. It will end with God. It's developed from the inside out, but it will be tested from the outside in. And so, as disciples of Jesus Christ, let us mimic the meekness of Messiah. Look for Pauls in our lives, communities of people who are mimicking the Messiah. And let us mimic them as they mimic Messiah. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you even for hearts that are so open this evening. I sense, Lord, that there's such a readiness to receive. And I know it's because of your presence and the Holy Spirit. And so I pray together with my brothers and my sisters here and all who are listening in, Lord, help us because we struggle in this area. We struggle because we have been patterned after the world. We have been taught from a very young age, fight for everything. Forgive us, Lord. But tonight, begin a new work in us. Teach us, Lord. And continue to walk with us, even as you bring others to journey with us, so that your church truly will rise up in power through meekness. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For Jesus, thank you for the grace that's always there and for the Holy Spirit who empowers us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.